0: Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ editor-in-chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I'd like to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, editor-in-chief of PTJ. And today I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Robert Gailey, who is professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of of Miami Miller School of Medicine in Coral Gables, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Gailey. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Jetty. Today we're gonna be talking about a study that he and his colleagues published in PTJ. It's entitled Effectiveness of an Evidence-Based Amputee Program, a Pilot Randomized Control Trial. I thought I would do a little summary of your study and then we can talk about it, Dr. Gailey.
1: Sounds great. Thank you very much.
0: The objective of this randomized control trial was to determine whether an evidence based amputee rehabilitation program would improve function, uh, uh, mobility function, in 18 veterans and non veterans with unilateral transtibial amputation who had already completed their physical therapy and prosthetic training. The experimental intervention was a prescription-based rehab program for people with amputation. Even though the participants enrolled in the study were many years post-amputation and post-rehab, those who received the eight-week program demonstrated clinically significant improvement in their mobility. So my, my first question, when I read your article, it really struck me. You talked about the fact that only a small number of people receive rehabilitation um services after a lower extremity amputation do you know the approximate percentage who receive rehab and and why is that figure so low
1: yeah that that's a a great question because uh that was something that really uh caught my attention and uh, articles that were published in the mid uh, to early 2000s by Tim Dillingham. And what he found in looking at the statistics uh, from the state of Maryland and the state of Massachusetts is that less than 12% of people who had received amputation received any kind of rehabilitation afterwards. Um, Unfortunately, because he was just going off the databases, he wasn't able to uh, speak directly to the uh, cause of such an effect. But um, in conversations with him and with uh, other people, um, some believe it may have been access to health care, which is an ongoing issue in this country. Um, Others uh, felt that it might be the a lower referral rate is after amputation or people directed to uh, receive physical therapy, care, and rehabilitation. Um, There's also a good percentage of those folks who after amputation is really the surgery was a life-saving procedure and they go back to an extended care uh, facility uh, and aren't really rehabilitation candidates. Um, And then there's a high percentage of people who were not motivated uh, to participate in physical therapy. Um, and uh, this is, seems to be an overarching theme where uh, folks that um, do suffer limb loss, which is primarily due to dysvascular disease, diabetes, uh, and the like, um, oftentimes uh, were not folks that had uh, diet, uh, the type of uh, exercise regime like to see, and they had other uh, lifestyle characteristics that may have led uh, to the unfortunate procedure of the loss of limb.
0: Yeah, it's very complex and uh, very challenging. And that, and that leads to my second question that just illustrates how challenging this area of work is. You note in your article that you approached uh, over 300 potential candidates and you were able to yield just around 20 for your study. Why was recruitment so difficult for this trial?
1: That was something that we debated as far as uh, including it in the article, and uh, collectively we felt that it was important to illustrate the point um, that when you look across the literature, oftentimes uh, articles and studies that are focused on prosthetics and people with limb loss, Uh, have this group that's um, between the ages of 40 and 60, the relatively higher end, more active people, and it's very few studies that uh, focus on those with lower levels of functioning. Um, So when we first submitted for this uh, VA grant to do the study, um, the goal was 90 patients uh, who uh, would be at the lower functional levels and so it was at a time where the VA could extend to us um, uh, the list of patients that we would be able to reach out and to speak with. And so as we began recruitment, um, talking to people at home and in the various clinics, um, we thought that this would be very easy to recruit because we could offer them an extensive physical uh, examination prior to the start of the study. We could uh, provide uh, travel and compensation for travel. It would be one-on-one physical therapy for one hour, three times a week. They would be compensated for their participation. Uh, and it was an opportunity to enroll into a follow-up study that we did where they would receive a uh, series of prosthetic feet to try um, if they wanted to continue on. So it seemed like we had all the bases covered. Um, much to our uh, chagrin, there were uh, we were rejected by over 300 people and ended up with uh, an end of just 20 uh, people. And we think that, uh, again, it goes to the motivation of this population, um, that uh, they also spoke to um, the difficulties that people have... To we're getting to rehabilitation even though we provided the transportation and compensation for it. Um, there was a level of fear by some folks. Um, it was just too far for them to get from the front door of the hospital up into the uh, PT department. So while we do talk about the motivation of this population, oftentimes the obstacles are far too great or the fear of uh, coming out of the home is too great for this population, so I think that it speaks to the broader research that is being done in this area that we always hear back when we uh, submit to other journals. Well, this is not replica uh, this doesn't represent the general uh, amputee population. whereas we find is that the majority of people who are prosthetic wearers are between uh, 40 and 55 years of age is because the older folks tend not to um, uh, participate or receive another prosthesis later on. So, um, again, very perplexing, um, but that's, I, I think, one of the important findings we had from this study.
0: Yeah, I, I actually was glad that you reported that because I think it uh, it's important for people to understand the context.
1: Yeah. Could you come? Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: ahead. No,
1: no, I was was just going to say is that, uh, you know, I think that's one of the difficulties in physical therapy is that um, we want so much for our patients to do well. And oftentimes the loss of limb is not the... Uh, barrier to success in rehabilitation oftentimes is the comorbidities, the motivation, the fears there are folks have. And as, as hard as we try to get that to the, get them to the level of function that we believe they can get to, um, there are these other barriers that just seem to pop up um, with so many people.
0: Well, let's talk a bit about the actual rehabilitation program, you describe it as evidence-based. Could you briefly describe
1: for our listeners the main elements of the program? Sure. So what we did um, is we used a performance-based measure, um, in this case, the amputee mobility predictor, and it has about 20 tasks that range from sitting to standing up from a chair, walking, um, the highest activity is ascending and descending stairs. And um, when the, and the scoring system is essentially zero, the person can't perform the task. One, they can perform it, but requires some form of assistance or they have some difficulty. Or two, they can perform it without any problem. And what we did is identify those tasks that they could not perform With each one of those tasks, we had assigned three to four exercises. And then um, those that had the lower scores, we would look at what was the reason that they couldn't perform the exercise or we had certain um, elements that we would assign to it. So if a person couldn't rise up, up out of a chair, oftentimes it could be either because of concentric uh, strength of the postural extensors, it could be because of balance, it could be because of timing, or it could be because they avoided use of the prosthesis. Um, so if we take that that one task arising from a chair, um, what we would then do is uh, go to the um, exercise sheet and say, well, if this person couldn't score the highest, the level of two to rise from the chair independently, We would then work on organizational planning strategies, or we would work on um, shifting their weight forwards and backwards, and then we have the sit to stand progression where we would apply pressure to the prosthetic limb to force the person to, or to facilitate more use of the prosthesis by that uh, individual, and then we had sets of exercises such as partial squats, wall squats, that type of exercise. So there was the um, treating clinicians would have the ability to choose specific interventions to address the limitations found by um, the performance-based uh, outcome measure, in this case being the AMP. And that continued yeah. throughout um all of the tasks that were on the amp. I liked the fact that it wasn't one size
0: fits all. It was very targeted. If uh, listeners were interested, do you have uh, a manual or some document that specifies the decision rules that your therapist use?
1: So we are in the process of constructing that. Um, in the article, we do list um, the uh, uh, various tasks that could, would be used and, uh, many of those are in, uh, uh chapters that I've published in, uh, um, books and, uh, in other articles. We're currently, um, refining, uh, these specific exercises for, um, use with the amputee mobility predictor. Um, but if therapists were just to, um, look at the article, they would see each one of the tasks that are listed there, then um, it talks about what are the primary constructs or systems that were being challenged, whether it be balance or strength, and then we list the exercises, and I think they're familiar with most of the exercises that are there, so they would have a good head start until we get the other publication out.
0: Good, I, I think that will be important if people want to replicate the program, they'll need that um, that secondary document. Let's yes. let's talk a little bit about the uh, the impact, because it was really quite striking to me. The effect sizes of this rehabilitation program at eight weeks was moderate to quite large. Yes. Why do you think the effect was so large, so long after amputation and any previous rehab?
1: So um, first I'll, I'll talk about why we chose uh, folks um, after the length of the uh, amputation because um, what the original premise for the research was really based on an observation that I shared with many of my colleagues who work with people with limb loss is that first year after amputation, we kind of noted over the years is that that – that the patient is, for lack of a better term, a moving target in terms of function. Um, They're recovering from the trauma of the surgery, there's healing with the residual limb, um, their focus is often more on things like will I be able to go back to work, Uh, will my significant other still be in love with me, Um, what is life going to be like in my new body. Um, They're not really focused on uh, walking with the prostheses, although um, they'll state that they'd like to do that. Um, They're just really, psychosocially, there are so many other issues that they're dealing with um, that when they come back about a year later, uh, now their their bodies have healed. Um, they realize that all of these fears um, were probably not realized for the most part. And so now they're really ready to focus on prosthetic gait training. And I have the advantage of working with uh, so many people over the years who've had limb loss is noticing the dramatic change that took place a year out versus over that uh, first initial period um, seemed to be fairly dramatic. Um, So what we wanted to look at is let's take out all the other variables um, that a person would encounter just after loss of limb or after the amputation. And then we can focus on really what is the impact of a targetive, Targeted physical therapy intervention, and so um, what we uh, did was a waitlisted control, uh, a randomized control trial, where uh, folks would come, they go through their initial physical, um, they would go through the in- initial evaluation, and at the end of that evaluation, they were handed the magic envelope, and it was determined do they go into waitlisted control group or right into the intervention group. The waitlisted control group would go home. And they would, um, uh, usual business, whatever they did, they would do. And then at the end of the eight weeks, they could then enroll into the intervention study. And so the effect size, um, is important because we didn't have a, a great sample size. But when you're looking at the difference between the two groups, it appears that those that just had went about their daily business, really didn't improve as far as their functional ability, but the intervention group, those that received the eight weeks of physical therapy, had significant improvement in function as measured by our performance uh, measure, uh, the AMP. So I think yeah. it really kind of demonstrates the value what uh, a physical therapy intervention uh, can provide, and I think that's one for the good guys, us.
0: Well, it was counterintuitive to me. I would have thought earlier would have been better, and uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see the impact. As you say, your performance-based functional measures, there were quite a few of them that showed substantial improvement. Um, Step length on the prosthetic limb, step length on the sound limb, foot clearance, cadence, stepping over obstacles, stairs, Quite uh, quite striking. Uh, I wonder if you looked at whether or not those mobility improvements translated into participation changes in these individuals.
1: Yeah, so that is a a great question, and to be honest, we did not ask about participation return in the community. Um, the assumption was if a person could take a normal stride and vary their cadence, they could keep up with friends and colleagues when walking together. and They could step over obstacles, they could negotiate uh, curbs and obviously stairs that would bring them back into the community. Um, anecdotally, uh, as I mentioned earlier, many of the people who were enrolled used their wheelchair as their primary means of mobility. Um, And uh, several of the subjects uh, were able to uh, leave their uh, wheelchair behind. It was a big day when they um, were able to come from the front of the uh, hospital where we um, uh, were performing the study and get all the way back to physical therapy, perform physical therapy and walk back. Um so uh, the assumption was that their participation in community had improved because they were saying they were going out to dinner, they were going to church, they were doing these other things. but future studies we really do have to look at and measure um what the differences in uh, community participation um and and activity levels um what that change really looks like.
0: Yeah, I think that would be really a good step forward uh, in future research. I was also pleased to see that you tracked mobility throughout the eight-week program. Could you talk a little bit about when the improvements began to kick in during the eight
1: weeks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, interestingly, we didn't see that great a change in the first uh, two weeks. Um, And when we Sat down and we were kind of looked at those um, numbers. It was kind of felt that, you know, they were just getting used to the program during that two weeks. Um, they went from um, very little training or conditioning uh, in their daily lives to uh, getting into the routine. Um, we asked them uh, because we wanted to keep this program just the same way that uh, physical therapy would be performed at home. Um, It was one hour treatment only, um, never any longer, and it was three times a week, um, but if they canceled, then it was just a lost treatment, and I think the average was two and a half um, visits uh, per week over the eight weeks, but that first couple of weeks, folks um, were really acclimating themselves to the change of routine and the physical activity and doing the home exercise program. However, after the fourth week, we began to see a statistically significant change that occurred with their scores, and we had um, our tester was uh, a physical therapist who was blinded. Um, She would come in, um, test the patients, was never there for any of the exercises or intervention, so um, she really wasn't biased to whatever happened at the therapy sessions, Um, but, we found um, uh, significant changes in uh, both the AMP and the six-minute walk test, and that occurred uh, in all subjects by week six and eight. So um, I think that it depended on how far that person was deconditioned when they began the program, but I think it's very interesting to see that over the four to eight week period of time everybody responded um and again, I think it really shows the value of physical therapy and what physical therapy can do for folks um regardless of where their baseline is, it can move that person uh, forward and improve function
0: yeah i agree It's really quite um the findings are quite striking to me it's a very small study and, and- you appropriately label it as a pilot. Uh, Are you continuing this line of research? Because I think it's really interesting and important.
1: Yes, so we've been uh, very fortunate is that the uh, VA and the DOD um, have – uh, kind of embrace what we've been able to do um, with uh, service members. And uh, we had a study that we've been doing over the last three years with the Joint Incentive Fund. It's a dual funded project between uh, the VA and the DOD where we use this um, same principles where we use outcome measures and more than just the AMP. People uh, uh, like to use the timed up and go, um, uh, uh, the two-minute walk test, we're uh, starting to develop some things for that, and, and uh, a host of the self-report measures that are there, um, because um, it's really not, not one test fits all clinical environments. What we did is we put um, these tests or outcome measures onto uh, an iPad or a tablet, and then uh, therapists and or patients, whomever is appropriate, will um, take the test, and then from there, we can identify exercises that the person can do with the therapist or at home independently. And what we found, and we just published this uh, uh, recently, um, but we found in the 50 subjects that we had worked with with this program is that there was a significant change of function, again, using targeted exercises with a greater emphasis on home therapy. Um, what we're finding in today's healthcare environment is people don't get eight weeks of one-on-one therapy three times a week with their um, physical therapist. So the physical therapist was able to remain in contact using mobile technologies um, through the the app or the companion website and change their exercises over time based upon how well they were doing with their um, performance measures, so they could do the tug at home, and if they were getting out of the chair quicker, um, and then they were able to um, uh, walk a little quicker, but they couldn't turn. Are there exercises to help with turn with the prostheses? Um, in short, we were successful with that, and we just published that work, and so they've uh, given us an extension grant where. What we're looking at doing, working with five DAs and a couple uh, and Walter Reed, is to expand the 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 same type of program now with multiple therapists over multiple facilities to see if the intervention of using targeted exercise rehab or evidence-based amputee rehab, uh, both in the clinic and with the home, tethering the patient to the therapist via um, mobile technology and the use of the website and and, uh, other types of media um, will improve outcomes over the long term. So um, that project is underway, and uh, hopefully by the end of the year we'll be starting data collection on the second um, uh, level with this.
0: Well, I really look forward to seeing it because I think this is an important area of investigation. And I want to thank you, Dr. Gately, for taking the time today for talking with me about your study, and I appreciate your publishing it in PTJ.
1: Well, we thank PTJ um, for um, publishing this study because um, um, it's had a terrific impact in my career reading the the wonderful articles that are there and have guided me through a lot of what I do clinically, and um, it's, it's always a pleasure and an honor to give back a little bit to our profession. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir.